Good morning. Good to have you here with us. Um, interesting thing happened last night uh, after the service. And it'll make a lot more sense when we get to the end. You'll, you'll see uh, from the passage we're looking at. But uh, there's a guy that came out of, the, out of here after the service and a big guy. And he somehow got past security and he's in the back room. And he goes, oh, hi, Pastor Marty. I'm not really looking for you. I'm looking for Jim. Jim, the guy that was just out here, brought out the table, brought out this, you know, Jim. He said, I got to talk to Jim. I said, uh, okay. You know, so he walks over to Jim and he goes, hey, Jim, remember me? And Jim goes, uh, no. And he goes, well, how was your neighbor? And Jim goes, oh, yeah, Dave. He goes, no, I'm John. Oh, John, yeah, how you doing, you know? And when he said John, you could see on Jim's face like, oh, yeah, John, yeah, I remember you. Like, really? And, and it's very interesting because John goes, yeah, Jim, I just had to come back to you and talk to you because of the message today. You just, just felt compelled to do that because, um, you know, when I was your neighbor, the whole time I was your neighbor, I was pretty much an alcoholic and uh, probably said some things, did some things. Some of them I probably don't even remember, but I just want to ask your forgiveness and say I'm really sorry. And Jim's like, oh, great, man. That's awesome. They give each other a hug, you know, and they're talking together about old times and stuff that happened. And it, it's amazing what God can do in a person's life. You know, we're going through this pers- this passage in Ephesians today, in Ephesians 5. And we've been going through the whole book of Ephesians. And especially in chapter 4, 5, and 6. And we're doing chapter 5 today. It talks about change. And the change that God wants to bring in your life. And what's so amazing is here, here was a living witness of that. Right in this guy's life. Coming to talk with Jim and apologize and stuff. And you'll see how that fits. Because one of the th- key phrases he said, which fits very perfectly into this passage... He says, you know, you know, Jim, that's my, not my name anymore. I was an alcoholic, but that's not my name anymore. And you'll see how that fits in a minute. Well, I'm praying the same thing for you. Okay, maybe you weren't an alcoholic, but that God would work in your life because it's horrible to just learn the Bible but not do anything about it. You need to be able to have it in your life. And God says you can. That's why it's written. So I'd like to pray for you all right now. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've been praying for everything today, and now we come before you in a serious prayer saying, may we not just learn what the Bible says, but may we learn it so deeply, may it touch our hearts so clearly that clear decisions are made, real action steps are taken. And I pray that for everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage we're looking at today, in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses the term walk. Now, all of us as homo sapiens, you know, human beings, learn to walk around age one or two. And in this passage, Paul, he, he comes up with this analogy, not me, this idea of walking. You'll see he uses it in three ways. And, he, you know, we all begin walking at age one or two, but the problem is always not that we can walk or not walk, because most of us can walk, fine. It's where you walk. It's the direction. Anybody who's ever taken care of a toddler knows that, right? They tire you out because they're walking here, walking here, walking here, and they're just going all over. And we walk because we weren't created to just crawl, and we can, we, we can go in a direction a lot faster if we walk, but the problem is about direction, what direction we're going. And in this passage where Paul's talking about walking, it's as though he's coming off of what we talked about last week in chapter 4. Remember the door illustration I had up here? It's like, okay, now that you've walked through the door, you've left your old self, your old life behind, and you're into your new self, you're now following Christ, and the door is shut behind you. Remember, you shut the door to some things in the past, walk into things in the future, walking in Christ. It's like he's saying, now walk. 
And let me tell you, here's how you walk. So that's, that's the context we're looking at. And in this passage, in fact, I put it down, what's called the big idea of the sermon. He puts it this way. To get to the Lord, I need to walk toward him. It's a very simplistic, very simple way of looking at it. it sometimes we can make it too complicated. And I was reading this statement saying, I don't want people to have the impression he's talking about, you have to walk toward the Lord to get saved. No, the Lord saves you by faith through grace, as he talked about in chapter 2. Or that to even get holy or be sanctified, set apart, you have to walk. No, walking is just more simple than that. And he puts it in three ways. In other words, if you want to go toward the Lord, if you want to be of the Lord, you have to walk toward the Lord. It's a step-by-step, it's a process. Doesn't happen overnight. And he knew that with the Ephesian Christians, and he knows that with you. And so God's trying to say, yeah, but you got to walk. I made you to walk. So take steps, step-by-step. You can do it. It's almost like a little toddler when you say, oh, buddy, you can can do it. You, You can walk. And then finally they get walking and you regret you haven't taught them, right? (laughs) Because they're walking all over. But the Lord's trying to get us to walk in the right direction now and guide us. And so he says three things. If you're going to walk toward the Lord, listen to this. Number one, you have to walk toward love. He says it right here. Number two, you're going to have to walk toward the light because God is light. God is love. Thirdly, you're going to have to walk in wisdom. That's why he says, walk in these three words. You're going to see all three of those right here in this passage. It just falls apart. I didn't invent the outline. It's just so simple. It's just right here. So let's go through it together. Point one, about walking in love. If this is how I'm going to walk toward the Lord, how you're going to walk toward the Lord, I need to understand what he means here. Walk toward love, point one, and verses one and two read like this. Therefore... Referring back to what had just happened, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He starts with that word, therefore, you know, almost like, okay, what was that? Refer, look, verse behind it in chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, and forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Okay, okay. So I'm going to be kind now, tender-hearted, and forgiving. How am I going to do that? He says, well, imitate God. Does that strike you a little funny? Imitate God? Yeah, right. Got it. You know, no problem. That's impossible. How could you imitate God? He's telling us. You've got to hear this loud and clear. He's telling us we can. He's not going to tell us something's impossible. He's saying, no, you're a different person now. You're in Christ. You can imitate God. Okay, maybe before you couldn't, or in your flesh you can't, but in the spirit you can. You're going to have an ability, an option open to you you didn't have before. And that's clearly what chapter 5 is trying to say. Therefore, since you're a wholly different person, you're not like you used to be. You're not your old self. You've gone through the door, and you closed it behind you. Now you can walk. And where would you walk? Imitate the Lord. So what's the first thing about imitating the Lord? He says, well, walk in love. And he says that clearly in verse 2. Walk in love. You know, when he says walk in love, in fact, in these first two verses, the two key verbs are what? The, the, the idea of loved and the idea of gave, both in, the, both in the past tense. He's saying you walk in love because he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, you know? And that's what it means to love. That's why he says it that way. Walk in love like the Lord loved you and gave Christ for you. Walking, excuse me, loving and giving are the two key concepts here. And walking and giving go together. 
It's very difficult to love and not give. This is what we do in a wedding ceremony, right? I love you, I give my heart to you, I give my life to you. I love you, I give my heart to you, I give my life to you. Giving and loving go together. And so he's describing what it means to follow the Lord, to walk with the Lord or walk toward the Lord. It's going to take a giving yourself, not only to the Lord, but to others. So got that concept in mind? Look at what he lists next. Look at this. Chapter 3. I mean, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness, must not even be named. We're going to come back to that. Must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, uh, nor foolish talk, uh, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Did you see here? It's a list he gives a whole list of things. And he's saying, don't let these things be named among you. And notice what he's, this, in this list, he's showing the different... You know, it's almost as though he's listing all these things that are all about getting. Covetousness is mentioned twice. Coveting is what? Wanting what someone else has so you can get it. And he lists the immorality and the impurity and the filthy talk, all this stuff. is Those are giving things. If you're going to follow the Lord, you have to be giving. It's a giving of yourself. That's what love is. He's trying to say it's giving. To love is to give. And so let these other things not even be in your life. It's, it's You have an option open to you you didn't have for. Let's put it like this. How about if somebody hurts you really bad? Defended you. They took advantage of you. Maybe they belittled you. We would always say we have two choices. You can either fight them or you can flight. You can either punch them or lie to them or, I mean, hurt them or uh, uh, refute your position or defend yourself. Or you can run away and get away, right? What Paul's trying to say here is that now that you're in Christ, you have a third option. Not fight or flight. You can love. You can give of yourself. You don't have to talk filthy. You don't have to tell crude jokes. You don't have, no, there's a third option. The third option you have now is to love. That would be what it means to imitate God. That's what he did for you in Christ. He didn't take the option of judging you and throwing you in hell. He didn't take the option of ignoring you and just pushing you away. He took the option of loving you by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross and he's telling you to do the same thing. That's what it means, folks, to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all yourself. It means a giving of yourself. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have the, the normal options for fight or flight. You've got a third option, to love. That's what Jesus meant when he said, turn the other cheek when they hit you, and they hit you again. Turn the other cheek. Many people, even people that are good people that go to church, don't seem to get this idea. You have a third option. You don't have to fight them, argue, complain, defend yourself. You don't have to run away, just avoid them, and stay away from that person. You have a third option. Love them. 
That's what turning the other cheek means. That's what loving your neighbor as yourself and all the other passages about love. And love never fails. And on and on and on. That's what it means. You now have a third option. It's your choice. So he's saying, don't even let these other things be named among you. Did you notice that in the list? What does that mean? Don't let it be named. Well, it could be not talk about it, but it's a little deeper than that. When he uses the idea of named, if he wanted to say don't talk about it, he'd say don't even talk about these things. Why does he say don't let it even be named among you? Well, naming something, having a name is your identity. My name is Marty. Your name is George or Mary or whatever, right? Your name identifies you. He says, well... He's putting it this way. Don't let sexual immorality be your identity, impurity be your identity, filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking or impurity or sexual immorality or covetousness. Don't let that be your name because you know why? That's not your name anymore. Like that guy that came in the back room who used to be an alcoholic, he's saying to Jim, it's not my name anymore. And so often... We fall into the horrible thing of identifying ourselves by our past behavior. As though somehow that identifies you. You're an alcoholic, or you're a this, or you're a that, or you're an abuser, or you did something bad. No, that's not your name anymore. That's Paul's whole point here. That's what God's trying to get through our thick skulls, is that, no, you're in Christ now. You have a new name. That's what born again means. You're now born in... You know, sometimes we, we refer to ourselves as sinners saved by grace. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Paul even called himself the chief of sinners. That's fine. That's true. But the truth is, you're not that anymore. You're a sinner saved by grace. You have a new name. It's not your name anymore. I remember when I, this truth came home to me. I was about 20. I've been a Christian since I was 18. And... Um, you, you know, for me, my conversion was a radical thing in my life. And I had that white motorcycle jacket. I put Jesus loves you on the back. And I'd wear it around. People mocking you and all kinds of stuff. It's great. Gives me an opportunity to tell you about Jesus, how he changed my life. Well, I remember a couple years into that, I'm working at a graveyard shift at a gas station. I come home, or I, I, I get off work, and I, I go to a restaurant. Perkins Pancake Houses, they still have those around, right? It was a Perkins. So I go into this Perkins, and I'm going to have, like, steak and eggs. When I was young, I could eat all that stuff, you know, my steak and eggs. And I got my buddy there, and a couple of us guys are talking. He's a Christian. We're talking about stuff. We're having a little Bible study. And then I'm getting up from my booth, and I'm going to leave, and two of my old non-Christian friends from high school are singing in another booth, Mark and Lance. And Mark and I had been really good friends until one day we got in a big fight in the locker room, bloodied each other up and stuff. Yeah, I was, I was a rough kid. And then Lance was there too. He was just a major wise guy. So we get talking. They go, hey, I heard you found Jesus. You know, they're like mocking me and I get talking to them about it. And, and so Lance goes, Marty, I just don't get it. What do you mean? Well, like, so you're telling me you'd rather have Jesus than a girl you really love and a bottle of nice wine? And, and it's like I wanted to say Lance, you, you don't get it. That's not my name anymore. Yeah, that used to be my name, but that's not my name. Have you looked at my jacket? Is Jesus loves you. I'm about Jesus now. That's who I live for. He says, you really are serious? You'd rather have that? And I go, yeah. And I didn't want to tell him straight up. Been there, done that, Lance. I got that. I'm telling you, this is better. It really is. I'm trying to explain something to him that didn't make sense to him, but of course it doesn't. I have a new name. Do you have that identity? If you haven't gotten that clear in your heart and in your mind, 
you get ve- you'll be very confused in life. You'll have a hard time. You'll be like a double-minded person, unstable in all your ways, the book of James says, because you're not clear about your identity. Are you a believer? Are you trusting Jesus as your Savior? Well, then you have a new identity. Walk. Walk in it. Walk in love. That's what Paul's trying to say here. That's a powerful truth, isn't it? That's the first thing we learned here. Look at the second. Walk toward the light. Walk toward the light. He says this, starting at verse 7. Or did I, did I finish the whole thing about foolish talking? And you know, I might have been skipping verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon you, the sons of disobedience. Now, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There it is again. Walk in the light. It's um, partners. That word strikes me. I guess because of that story I just told you about Mark and Lance. It's like, yeah, I'm not partners with you guys. You're going this way. I'm going that way. Yeah, it's going to be tough to hang around with someone who's going a totally different direction. It's going to be tough even within ourselves when we try and be in the light but in the dark. Or an unstable man, like it says in the book of James. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Maybe that identifies you and why you're having so many problems. You're not clearly walking in the light. To walk in the light means, like you'd think it means, light. That was one of my favorite passages about this is First John 1, 7. It says, walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What does that mean? It means open up. It means be honest with one another. It brings healing to your life. It brings renewal. It brings openness. That's right before the passage that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice what he goes on to say about the light and what it does. You ready? Look what he says. For, verse 9. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let no part, excuse me, take no part in the unfruitful works, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, and this they say, Bible scholars say it's probably an old hymn or something like that that no one really knows. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Notice what it's saying. He says, light produces fruit. Light enables us to have discernment. Light, light, light exposes trouble up ahead. And light cleanses us like a, like a cleaning or healing effect. Now, honest to God, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about you. I really do. In my normal week, like, how can I communicate this? How can I help people understand this? This whole walking in the light thing. Literally, I've lived this for for years. I remember a book teaching me about this when I was like 18 or 19. And I was so excited about what does that mean to walk in the light? It means I open up and I'm getting honest with God. Open up and getting honest with people. And I thought, "How how do I explain this in a way that's so concrete? You never forget it. And I came across this video clip from the I Am Second website. 
The only problem is it takes about 10 minutes. And when I showed it to Nick and the other guys, they go, oh, you got to show that whole thing. So right now, get ready. I'm going to show you this powerful, powerful video clip of a guy who was a cop and a guy who was a criminal. And how God worked in both their lives to get them out of the darkness into the light together. Watch it with me. Michigan. I'm the youngest of six. Dad and mom had a big falling out. Mom used to kick the crap out of us. I've learned today now that mom was just doing what she was taught. And for me, I didn't want to ever bring that type of lifestyle to my kid. Violence became a part of my nature. grew up in a pretty violent home. One night uh, it got out of hand and uh, police officers were called and I remember that the guy brought peace to my home. It wasn't because he was mean to my dad, he wasn't aggressive, just his presence brought peace to my house. And I remember thinking from that point on like, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. February of uh, 2006, I had been working as a, a narcotics cop for about four months, and uh, I had caught a guy with some crack, and he said he wanted to go home, he didn't want to go to jail, so he made a phone call and uh, set up a drug deal for an ounce of crack cocaine. I get to the scene and I see the vehicle, just like I was told, and there was one guy in the car, um, but he wasn't my guy. And then this other guy comes out of the store and he comes walking towards the vehicle. I'm here shopping, I come out the store, and this guy was approaching me, talking about he's a cop. And where's the dope? I'm like, what? What dope? I tried to walk around him, and he kept like getting in my way, blocking my view, and then he pulled out the badge. And I'm like, oh, so this is for real. I wasn't sure if that was the guy or not either, but from that point on, I kind of operated from that's the guy and I've got to prove that he's guilty. Sitting in jail, the first week, um, I was just lost. I'm like, man, they gotta figure this out. They know I don't have nothing to do with this. Like, why am I here? By the end of that day, I wrote the report that as I pulled up, this guy in the driver's seat uh, leaned towards the center council where I found an ounce of crack cocaine. And that guy, uh, I lodged under the name who I thought he was. The police report came in and it was not me. And then two days later, I get information that it wasn't that guy. His fingerprints came back and it was actually Jamel McGee, which was my target's cousin. And I was like, wait a minute, okay. 
this is cool. So now they can see this and then I should be able to go home. So I could have at that point just said, you know what, mistaken identity, got the wrong guy. But I still felt like this guy was guilty, you know, I have to prove it. So I just wrote a supplemental report and with the stroke of uh, some keys on a computer, you know, I kind of cinched the deal for Jamel being convicted. At that point, I realized, like, this ain't going away. A couple days later, when I get the information that I had lodged Jamel under the wrong name, uh, there was a little bit of fear uh, that I was going to get found out because I did lie about him being in the vehicle. So it was just a simple one paragraph um, write up saying uh, I mistakenly said it was the wrong person. And when I heard the judge say, I'm sentencing you to 10 years in federal prison, I was like, oh wow. So when the judge convicted him, you know, it was basically like just affirmation that it was a job well done. And they carted me off. There was a lack of humanity when I viewed Jamel. He was a stepping stone for me in my career. My uh, career kind of spiraled out of control. There was things, uh, even the day that I arrested Jamel, that I told myself I would never do. And yet, by the end of my career in 2008, every boundary I had set up for myself, uh, I walked through and broke down. I was stealing money from the city of Benton Harbor and from drug dealers. I was planting drugs to make sure that I could get search warrants. Two years after I met Jamel, I got caught with crack heroin and marijuana in my office. I got caught on a Tuesday, thought about killing myself on Wednesday. I couldn't see coming back from this. into his office and I told him everything. The more I confessed, the more I got me back, that little boy who wanted to be a good officer. And uh, I started to not just feel bad for myself for being caught, but I started to feel bad for what I had done to people. What do I do from here? And he said, Andrew, where are you at with Jesus? And I remember kind of being blindsided. And I just hung my head and I started crying. I said, I don't deserve him. I don't deserve him. You've heard everything I did. I don't deserve Jesus' love. And he said, Andrew, none of us do. That's the beauty of grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. As time went on, it, it became apparent to me that I was going to have to answer uh, for my wrongdoings. Uh, so I went to the FBI and I said, I want to I right my wrongs. I want to tell you guys everything I did. myself in prison to harm the officer whenever I got out. I was deeply hurt um, by everything that had happened. My turning point from that was I realized that I had a son and I wanted a different life for him. It was a Bible on my desk. This day I just said, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible. My mind just went blank and God stepped in and was telling me, hey, let it go. This ain't even a fight. You know, I'm giving him everything, all this hurt, all this bitterness, I'm giving it away to him.
officer says to me, hey, where would you go if you'd release today, tomorrow, or six months from now? And I'm like, hey, probably to my grandma's house. He was like, well, I need the address. And he was like, when I gave him the address, he said, you got 15 minutes to leave. The fax machine beeped and he handed me the paper. And that was a letter from the judge um, saying that my conviction was overturned and I had to leave the premises immediately. So I grabbed the paper and um, I stepped outside the door and I just simply said, thank you, Jesus. I gave away my hurt, my pain, my frustration, and God gave me um, an exit. Out of all the guys who I chased around as a police officer, Jamel was not one of them. He was never on my target before. I didn't think of him much after. I don't think I ever thought about Jamel in prison. It wasn't until we ran into each other after I got out. Two years after I get out, I get to meet my son for the very first time. He wanted to go to the park this day. My idea was just to let him run through the park and I would just stay on the sidewalk and then I saw you. I remember I'm there and uh, you came over and you, you stuck out your hand and I remember thinking like, okay, good, you know, this is gonna be a good interaction. And when I shook your hand, you said, you remember my name? I looked down at my son and said, explain to, to him why I was missing out on these years of his life. Yeah, I think that was worse than being punched, right? And uh, I think at that point, it's just when I started apologizing to you. And then, like, I get done saying I'm sorry, and you just kept grabbing me. <laughs> you just kept holding on. Like, what was going on in your brain? When, like, why wouldn't you let me go? I was waiting on God to give me a clear sign, an answer, or something of what I should be doing. Uh, I think it's amazing to be able to talk to you now and find out you were battling with God. I had no clue that you had that running with Jesus in prison. You had no clue I had that running with Jesus through this whole thing. God had let me know um, in that moment, like, this ain't even your fight. Get out of my way. I ended up releasing you and um, walking away. in that class you get to uh, meet your mentor and Miss P comes to me and says hey we finally got your mentor we understand that he's done some things at the city of Ben Harbor and I was like wait a minute Miss P who is it already and she was like Andrew Collins oh no way <laughs> and I was like you know what let me pray on that I know God I think God is telling me he wants this to happen. Princella had talked to me that day about being your mentor. She comes down, she's like, hey, there's this guy in the class. I think God has just laid it on my heart. You need to be his mentor. And, and I said, okay, who is it? She said, his name's Zuki. Do you know him? And I was like, I don't, I don't think I know him personally. You know, I forgot that's what people call you. An hour and a half later, you come walking in. And all of a sudden, I'm brought back <laughs> to that angry dude gripping my hand. And I was like, oh, shoot. But I also felt like God had, like, opened this door for a second chance for me to apologize. Apologize to you. I felt like I failed that day, right? So I said, "Man, I'm so sorry for everything I did to you." And I remember you just like leaning away from me, like you were offended that I was even talking about it. And you just kept reassuring me that it was over. You just kept saying, "It's over, bro. It's over." And I remember you telling me I believed you the day in the park that you were sorry, and I believe you now. And I asked you if we could pray together, and you were like, "Yeah." And you just bowed your head right there, and I was like, "All right, cool. We're doing this." Andrew, I forgive you, and the reason why is if God didn't forgive us for our actions or we were charged for every single thing that we've done in our life. Where would that leave us? 
it's these things that we are holding on to trying to fix it or trying to make it right. And all we got to do is just let it go. But I think it's so many times where I'm holding a grudge against a family member, you know, my wife or, you know, a close friend. And, you know, God reminds me of the forgiveness you've offered me. So I just hope you know how transformative your forgiveness is, um, not just in my life, but the way I've seen you impact so many people. It's been incredible. I am Jamel McGee, a.k.a. Zuki, and I am second. I'm Andrew Collins, and I am second. Yeah, I see someone wiping away tears. It really gets to you, doesn't it? You know my favorite line in the whole thing? It's Jamal. Love that guy. I just love that guy. Oh, what a guy. When he said, God said to me, ain't your fight, get out of my way. I bet there's, I know there's somebody here. You need, that's what you need to do. Ain't your fight. Get out of his way. Get it. And look what happened to, to, to Andrew when Jamal got out of the way. He crushed Andrew. Got through to him. The Lord got through to him. Ain't your fight. Get out of the way. It's God's fight. He'll take it. He'll make it even. Andrew says, Jamal says, we, we think we're going to fix it. You're not going to fix it. Only God can fix it. Get out of his way. Do you see the light and darkness there? It, it, it's, I went through the passage, right, and I showed you how light produces fruit. Yeah, and darkness does too. And when they turn from the darkness to the light, light started producing fruit, even drew them together. Light enables us to, to discern. They were making bad decision after bad decision, both of them. But the Lord brought them into the light, and they started making good decisions, like they could see what was going on. Light exposes the trouble, even willing to go to the FBI and confess. God bless Andrew. God used him. And then light cleanses. Wow, what a beautiful story. All because they brought, walked in the light. You got to get out of the darkness. Like God says, get out of my way. This is not your fight. Thirdly, walk toward wisdom. Look what it says in verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. You see that? Walking in wisdom. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This is the days of evil because, yeah, we were sinners, but we're saved by grace. We're different now. We've been changed. Verses 17 through 21. Look at it says, we'll move quickly. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
he's contrasting debauchery, contrasting two different kinds of people, a pagan gathering and a Christian gathering. In the pagan gathering, they're just drinking, they're just partying on, they're trying to have fun. And he says, just ends up in debauchery versus the other kind, which is ends up in singing in their hearts and thankfulness and submitting to one another. And the key is right here, verse 18. Did you catch that? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit in contrast to drinking. Now, think of that. He, he brings this up, not me. He's comparing drunkenness with being filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you get drunk? <laughs> Probably most people in this room have been drunk before. Do you get drunk having a beer? No, you got to have like two beers, three beers, four beers, right? Get drunk with one drink, no, you got to have two drinks, three drinks. It's a process. It's a walking toward it. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit then? He's clearly suggesting you start walking toward it. It's a step-by-step process. You put yourself under the flow of the Spirit, the teaching of the Spirit, the Word of God, praying, talking to God. It's a flow. It's a process. Just like it takes repeated things to get drunk. It takes repeated things to be filled with the Spirit. In fact... In this passage, it's in the present tense when it says, be filled with the Spirit. And some have said it's be being filled. One one biblical teacher said that. It's be being filled. In other words, it's a process, but you've got to start walking that direction. And it's wise, he says, it's wise to walk toward the Spirit. It's foolish to walk the other way because you're not going to find what you want. Very much like Jamal said, ain't your fight. It implies a question. The question is, what are you filled with? You filled with alcohol, filled with drugs, filled with shopping or lust, or filled with with knowledge or food or entertainment or money. The list goes on. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, used to say, to be filled with the Spirit has got to be an emptying. Where you say, okay, Lord, now I need you, but I'm going to turn away from these other things and be being filled, start the process. Often the word... um, Spirit is compared uh, in Scripture as well as in other places with wind. And the wind comes and the wind goes. It's like he's saying, put yourself in a place where you can catch the breeze. But many of us are like in the darkness or living foolishly in a lack of wisdom. And we don't put ourselves where we can catch the wind. Coming to church, good move. You can find the Spirit here. Getting in the Word, good move. Getting in prayer, good move. Hanging out with other Christians, good move. To put yourself in a place of walking in the Spirit. So here's the definitive question I'm going to end with. Ready? Here it is. How does one know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit or not? Look at the text. What does it say in the Bible? And they're filled with the Spirit. And there's a singing melody in their heart. And they're sharing. And they're being thankful to God. And what else? They submit even to one another. There's this reverence for God that they realize, hey, it's about the Lord. I can submit to this. I can come under this. Because the Lord is the one that's in charge here. Wow. Beautiful, isn't it? You know you're filled with the Holy Spirit when there's an overflowing thankfulness, an overflowing wisdom to be able to submit, an overflowing melody in your heart and singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs like it says here. I saw, I thought, you know, a good analogy of this would be like a glass of water. Let's say this is you. This is God. He's full. He wants to pour his spirit in you. When you're half full, there's no overflowing. Well, one way to know you're sure, for sure full is what? Filling of the Holy Spirit is completely evident when there's overflowing. And it's just... Did you understand? That's what your life is supposed to be as a Christian. There's an overflow. You're not even trying, in a sense. It's the Spirit 
that does his work in and through you, giving you new desires, new feelings, new attitudes, new behavior, new determination, new discipline. Please, please hear me. So many people think the Christian life is about forcing yourself to do stuff and being disciplined and doing the right thing. No, it's not. Stop it. Stop trying to be so good. Never heard a preacher say that, have you? Because you can't do it. That's foolishness. Wisdom is submit to the Spirit so much, it just starts flowing through you, and you're so full, it's like a melody in your heart. You're so full, you just give thanks to God for things. You're so full, it's easy to give reverence to God in the way you act and talk and think. It's a spiritual thing. Please hear that. It's not a fleshly thing. You can't do it. You'll just be acting. And you don't want to be an actor. You don't want to be an opposer. You want to be filled with the Spirit, right? So many people seem to want it. So few seem to really have it. Because they're not willing to just submit and say, Okay, Lord, whatever you want. It's very much part of this walking process. That you walk in love, you walk in light, you walk in wisdom. It's just simply that, well, I'm going to take the next step, do the next right thing, and follow the Lord step by step. That's the filling. It starts overflowing. So here's how I thought we should end the service. I'm going to have you bow your head and let me help you pray through. You know, lots of times we pray for things and it's just so random and it's all over. Here's the scriptures laying out for us something. Why don't we pray it through? Because if it's a God thing, I can't do it, right? You've got to ask God. Bow your heads. Bow your heads. Let's, let me help you. Here, I'll walk through the outline with you. Walk toward love. Love is a very giving thing. Are you willing to say, Lord, put this love in my heart so much that I'm not just about taking? So when I'm hurt or I'm offended or I'm abused, I can walk away and say, not my fight. Get out of God's way. I'm going to love anyway. Do you realize you have an option other than fighting, other than flighting? You have an option to love. Say, okay, God, I'm going to choose love. Secondly, walk toward the light. What mixes us up lots of times is we let a lot of darkness in. We're partners with darkness and wondering why there's not much light. Light produces fruit. Light gives you discernment. Light gives you, keeps you from trouble. Light cleanses you. It's just like Jamal and Andrew. Look what the light did when they walked in. Is there somebody you need to confess to? Is there some sin you need to ask the Lord forgiveness of? Is there some habit you're involved with you need to go? Is there somebody you got to go, okay, Lord, not my fight. Like Jamal said, you're trying to fix it. You can't fix it. You can't fix them. Your revenge will do no good. Why don't you give up the fight? Say, I choose love, and I'm going to walk in the light. I'm just going to be out in the open. I'm going to confess my sin, and I'm going to let God do his work to get someone else to confess their sin, not my job. Thirdly, walking in wisdom means being filled with the Spirit. I'm not going to, I'm not going to live like a, like a pagan trying to get and get and get and have and have and obtain and get buzzed or high. That's not going to help my problems. I need the Spirit's filling. So, Lord, I pray for everyone here, myself included, that we would be filled with your Spirit to the place of overflowing. 
because we're willing to say, okay, Lord, here we go. Walking in love, walking in the light, walking in wisdom. I'm going to give you control my life. The word here that, that makes everything different is yieldedness. Will you yield to the Spirit? When you yield to the Spirit, He causes that overflow. He gives you the new drive, the new desire, the love. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here. And if, if you're with me in this, just say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. If there's something in the way, something that's got me filled already, and I need to empty of that, show me what it is. But right now, I'm asking that I could be filled with you to overflowing. Demonstrating it by the fruits of the Spirit. Demonstrating it by my service, my willingness to serve you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.